At Female Footballers, we are female-focused, so I couldn't pass up the opportunity to be a brand ambassador for the newest female-focused footwear company, Ida Sports. Ida Footwear offers high-performance and comfortable footwear for athletes who have traditionally been an afterthought. Interested? Try out Ida Footwear and use our code FEMFOOTBALL10 for 10% off a pair of Ida shoes today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray, and I am your host, and I'm really excited. Today, we have on a woman who I was fortunate enough to play up top with and learn from as a college player at UC Berkeley. She is a straight-faced badass with a dry sense of humor, a work ethic, and a determination that I had never seen the likes of when I got to Cal. She is a former pro soccer player, a Cal Bear, a Herman Trophy finalist, a women's national team player, the current coach of George Fox University, and commentator for the Portland Thorns in the NWSL. Please welcome Laura Schott. Well, hello, hello Cassie. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Thank you for the homework. intro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was really I didn't good. Know you were a Herman Trophy finalist. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, that was, was a while ago. <laughs> I know I went deep. As I was telling you before the intro, we uh, I checked your Wikipedia page and we were laughing because uh, listeners, the the photo that's up when you Google Laura Shot on Wikipedia is not Laura Shot. So maybe no, maybe it's... Wikipedia people, you need to check that out. Was it a doctor? <laughs> no, I, it was. I was like, well, who's this person? This is not you. Um, no. People listening, though, this is um, a, a teammate and friend, and I'm so excited to have you on and just, you know, let people know your amazing story and chat tonight. Um, so let's let's dive in. Let's uh, let's tell listeners a little bit about, you know, your playing experience first. So um, where you're from, where you grew up playing, all the, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah, I uh, I'm from the Portland area. I'm from Oregon, and uh, I still live in Oregon. I would definitely classify myself as a homebody. The fact that I ended up getting to to go to Cal um, and play with you, I think, <laughs> totally took me out of like my normal <laughs> small town. Like moving from a small town to Berkeley and living next to Oakland was an experience in itself. <laughs> but I grew up. I grew up uh, in kind of rural Oregon. Um, started playing rack. I played rack for a long time and then eventually moved into classic. At that point, there was, you know, Premier was the top league and classic was the second league and did that for a couple of years. And then eventually um, ended up in what would, I guess, be best understood as FC Portland, which Clive, you're very familiar with. Um, and he coached the University of Portland for I don't know how many years, very long time, many final fours, uh, obviously amazing coach. And um, he had started FC Portland, but it was only U15 through U18. So there was a quote unquote feeder club that was U11 through U14. So just through research, I eventually ended up there and tried out. And I, <laughs> I mean, I went to the tryout and I like, I, no joke, Cassie, like it's middle of the summer. It's obviously grass at that point. Like the ground is hard, it's dirt. I've got like the shin guards going on on top of the socks. I've got <laughs> the like, what else did I have going on? I had, I had, uh, I had uh, screw ins. That's what I wore. Oh, yeah, no. I, Ouch. Oh my gosh. You know, I just show up and I'm like, all right, well, I guess, you know, try to compete. And then I made the team, which I, at that point, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm kind of surprised I made the team. So that was, I think, around like, you know, junior high, like U13. 
and then um, never left the club. Uh, was on a very good team all the way through. Uh, lots of amazing people that I'm still friends with. Um, you talk a lot about friendships on on this podcast, and um, you know I had a lot of great friends. Most of our team went on to play Division One soccer, um, and then eventually I um, found my way to Cal. And I should mention that I went to Jesuit. Um, yeah, big school. A lot of people coming out of Jesuit too, right? A lot of people. Um, we've had some, you know, Cal Bears since then. Yeah, um, Sydney, Sydney Emma. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I think they made it to. They were ranked third in the country at one point this year. Jeez. Um, that's a side story all its own because I I was the third class of females at Jesuit. I don't even know if you know that, but Jesuit no, used to be an all boys school. Yeah, it was an all boys school until 1993. Um, and then I went in in 1995 and, um, once they admitted, they'd made the decision to admit girls, um, the school just kind of flourished and took off. I mean, I remember going there and there were, you know, like one side of the gym had, you know, some state championship banners and, and then, you know, you go now and it's like, you can't fit anymore <laughs> in there. That's um, awesome. it's, it's just amazing what. Uh, has been built there, um, not just on the soccer side. I mean, all the sports are are pretty uh, dominant. Um, so yeah, so I went to Jesuit. That was a great experience. And then obviously landed at Cal, um, played for four years at Cal, played up top with you for three. Yeah, um, so that was the highlight of my career. I got to learn from you and watch you. And um, But wait, before I get into Cal really quick, how far did you have to commute in Oregon, you mentioned you were rural, and I have to say we have different mentees that join our programs, and we hear a little bit about the the youth system in Oregon and how there's some massive clubs. But like, I feel like a lot of girls, if you don't live in certain areas, you're really commuting far. Did you have that? Yeah, I did. It's an interesting question that I don't think I've ever been asked. Um, to most of the places that we trained, and the traffic situation was calmer <laughs> at that time. <laughs> But without traffic, most of the places that we train took me about an hour to get to. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, my parents made a big commitment to get me there. And then honestly, as soon as I turned 16, they were like, here's a car. Here's some keys. (laughs) (laughs) Drive yourself to school. Yeah. Yeah. Way easier. Okay. Yeah. No, I figured it was, um, we have some people we know up there that like it's, you know, there aren't that many big, like, it's not like California, where I feel like everywhere you turn, there's a competitive club on every corner, at least in where I'm at, Bay Area, SoCal has the same, you know, maybe the middle of California is a little bit different, but Oregon, you would think, because it's such a, in my opinion, such a soccer um, state, just with, you know, Nike, and and I don't know, maybe because I have ties to University of Portland and been up there enough, but it's crazy to me that there aren't more larger clubs. Yeah, I mean, soccer obviously exploded in the state in a number of ways. I think the biggest way it's exploded is kind of fandom more than, you know, like the serious soccer person. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the um, the atmosphere at Thorns Games, Timbers Games, um, and people who are just interested in the sport. Um, I mean, compared to our population is very um, off the charts. It's, it's a big deal where we live. Um, we have some bigger clubs now um it, the sport's grown a lot of things has changed I mean when I was growing up there were really in our area two big clubs that everybody by high school kind of ended up at um and now um it's a lot more spread out obviously there's GA there's the e- ECNL there's um you know the state association there's just different 
different yeah. avenues to play different leagues. So, um, you know, the clubs have to make sure that they have players that can play in those leagues. So yeah. um, we have so many clubs now. I, I, I would, I would say I'll maybe step out of line and say we have too many. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know because I know back in the day it was a little bit different. Um, and I, you know, totally different cities. I think it's just a little, there's more rural areas compared to California, but okay. Wait, back to California, UC Berkeley, you go to Cal, we get to play together. I learned a lot just from watching you. And I was always a little scared of you, to be honest, a little scared. Um, like I said, you were very determined and serious. And I, on our, on our college team, I think I had quite the, um, bad rap for maybe being a little silly. So, <laughs> uh, so I wasn't always taking it seriously, which is totally fine. But I, I was amazed at watching you play and you were such a badass and, um, you had such a style of the way you play, like I, the way you run, you're so fast. And like, I was just always impressed. So you had quite a, a career there too. I mean, you were, you've been inducted into the Cal Hall of Fame, which is not an easy feat at such a big school and our Lair of Legends, which is our own soccer Hall of Fame throughout our program. Um, but yeah, I mean, you were all American, I think every year, weren't you? Uh, I think too. I mean, my senior year, do you remember my senior year? I got hurt for half the season. Do you remember that? No, I mean, I, I don't really remember a ton about college. I swear. And it's not because I was drinking at all. It's just like, I have the worst memory. AJ has a really good memory of our, our class, but I don't. Um, yeah, I, uh, I was, well, now, now I'm old. So it, it was all packed 10, all four years. And then I was an All-American. One year I was a first team All-American. And then like you mentioned the uh, Herman candidate, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I had a great time at Cal and I enjoyed playing with, I mean, yeah, you were, you were goofy, but you're still a good <laughs> soccer player. <laughs> um, and what I liked was that there was uh such a community. I mean, the alumni community and then the playing community and that everybody, um, when you're at a, a school like that, everybody, um, even <laughs> who might be considered the least motivated person is extremely motivated mm. compared to the general population uh, totally. when you're at a place like that. So, um, you know, people were just so intelligent and in different ways and from different places. Um, I was just telling somebody, um, we were both at our friend's baby shower the other day, Tracy Ham um mm -hmm. oh my god tomorrow might be the big day I think um, yeah I think she's due any second <laughs> so that's exciting um but um yeah I just I really um enjoyed it there and enjoyed all the experiences but at that baby shower um I mean I just it hit me again just how how diverse the population is and come together for a sport and um you know it's it's just so fun how you can stories and meet people and learn about things that you wouldn't have otherwise I definitely if I would have stayed in Oregon I probably wouldn't have been exposed to ever mm -hmm. um so I really cherish that opportunity playing and otherwise just as you know kind of um stepping out of um you know the box here and doing something completely different yeah but at, at that time you were also within the youth national I mean I guess you call it youth but the 21s you're playing the national team you got called up, I think, shortly after that to the full team, and you also got to go play in the first women's professional league, the WUSA, the WUSA. Um, so tell us a little bit about that, the transition, <laughs> or just how you balanced maybe youth and college at the same time and then getting into pros. Gosh, um, I think I think the balance, it never, 
um, felt like a balance, I'd say, until until I was playing with the 21s and then we were traveling, which was, um, it really hit uh, the second semester of my sophomore year at Cal, where um, there was, I think we started, we were a, a semester school, Cal's a semester school, um, and we started the second term, and <laughs> I think I went to class for maybe a week or two, and then I had to leave for, I think, a week, and then I was back for a week, and then I had, I went to Europe for two weeks, <laughs> and then I was back for like a week, and I, I mean, I was literally like, am I just gonna drop out? Like, am I just gonna, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, like, <laughs> Back then was a different time. I think things might be different now, but I literally had professors that were like, well, you're just going to miss the midterm. <laughs> like, totally. Well, Kel, my like, husband okay. had to do that. He had to take the whole semester off for the, the U20 yeah. or U21 uh, World Cup in Argentina. Yeah. yeah. Um, which might, I don't know, in hindsight, maybe that would have been a good thing to do, but I just kind of gutted it out. And like, you know, my GPA was yeah. good enough to not fail out. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know how you did that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I did, I did fine, but it was, it was tough. It was really tough to balance it all. Um, and it just took a commitment. And obviously there were, um, you know, things that I didn't necessarily um, want to give up. I didn't want to get worse grades. I didn't want to um, essentially be penalized to not be able to take those at different times or, you know, a lot of people just weren't willing to work with that. And that's a good question to ask when people go to college, you know, like how, how much are people going to work with you? Um, are the professors going to work with you? What does that look like? What's that um, dynamic? Now, like I said, this was quite a while ago. I think the climate's much different now just with athletes in general. And as you know, you champion so much mental health. Um, I think that that would probably look different if I were going through it now. But um, I will say then and now there, you know, it, it's a commitment and you have to kind of have a running cost benefit analysis going in your head of, you know, am I okay with this not going as well as I would like it to so that I can try and maximize this other area of my life. And I think that that was kind of the key to, you know, like managing that was just figuring out what that looked like for me and what the decision was going to be. Yeah, that's, that's a great, I love the way you put that. So true. And I think that the pressure that female athletes put on themselves to, to, not do that where they expect themselves to be perfect in every realm is is the biggest issue and the fact that you were realistic about like it's not going to be perfect in every avenue and that's okay you know what is my focus right now i think that's huge and that's what made you be successful um and you know you are um quite intelligent to be able to get through cal <laughs> i mean it's not an easy school to graduate from or get into in the first place so to be able to navigate all that is in, impressive um but then you, so then you graduate and we, while we were at Cal, the WSA started and it was very exciting yeah. coming out of the 99 World Cup. And so um, tell us a little bit about that. I know you graduated Cal and you were off and I think Maite was already there. There was a couple people, maybe yeah. actually not many. No, not a lot, but, but definitely some, um, I think that, you know, I mean, Maite had done that two years prior. I believe that she was in the league for three years, um, mm -hmm. all three years. Yeah, <laughs> in, the, the duration, <laughs> the entire duration of the first league. Um, but yeah, I, um, you know, I, I, you know, looking back, um, my senior year was really stressful. It, it was very stressful. Um, I think mostly because I had gotten hurt. So um, 
you know, I was at training and, you know, I was going to goal and took a touch too long and made contact with a player and we couldn't get out of each other's way. And then I uh, partially tore my MCL. So right off the bat, I was, you know, we were, I think we were a game in mm -hmm. and I was out for, I think I stepped into games at five weeks, but it was, you know, managed, I mean like 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the goal in that situation, which makes complete sense um, from the coaching staff was to have me back for conference. Um, but I had a couple dynamics going on, you know, in my head during that entire season. One was the league had started and, you know, at the time the goal was going to be to play for the national team. Like there wasn't, there wasn't another goal. Um, and then the path was going to be, you know, if at, at that point, if you weren't on the national team by 22, you kind of had to piecemeal it together or you didn't really know where to go. Right. Mm -hmm. You could maybe go to the storm. You could maybe find another team but there wasn't a league to play in. So it was, you know, awesome that there was a league. So obviously the, the next step for players to develop was going to be uh, to go to the league. Well, when you miss, you know, like 10 games of your senior year mm -hmm. and you're trying to break a scoring record and you're trying to get drafted, um, you know, there, there were a lot of pieces there where I just um, tried to put as much attention as I could and focus as I could on, um, you know, like, being as um, fit and ready as I could be after coming off injury, um, mm -hmm. try and help us do well in the back 10. Um, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't want to break the, if I said I didn't want to break the scoring record, I had that on my shoulders because, you know, I was close enough that it was sort of going to be a no brainer. Wait, you did, heard, didn't you? I did, but yeah. you know, <laughs> I did, but <laughs> huge. that's huge coming out of an injury like that and still getting um, to be able to do that. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, that was that was a proud moment. Um, How many goals? Because was that, that was going to be so hard. Um, uh, for the four years, it was fifty-six. Holy crap! That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then and then obviously the draft and the next step in in my career. Um, so all those things were kind of at play at that mm -hmm. time. And then you know, of course, um, there were the academic pieces too. I was double majoring and I had to figure out if you got drafted at that point and you were um, at a semester school, you you did drop out because if you were at a quarter school, you could get through spring break and then mm -hmm. still kind of survive and go back to your team. Um, but obviously with semesters, you wouldn't be done till May, which is a no-go because your season's in full swing. Mm -hmm. um, so I had, to, I had to drop out. I'm a college dropout. And then I had to go back, <laughs> I had to go back and finish later. Oh, yeah. Well, most people, I feel like at some point, end up doing that you know um yeah so you got drafted to the washington freedom correct yep all right and that was how tell us about, i don't even remember the draft well because the league folded the following year which would, was my senior year <laughs> i got that opportunity but i don't even remember i think because i was so stuck in college soccer was it anything like it is now is it similar like the way i mean was it in like november or january of that of your senior season um, the, I mean, I mean, or January, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, camp is similar, I guess, but it started a little later. Um, I mean, I, I don't remember the exact dates, but I think I flew out to DC in February at the end of February, maybe, maybe early yeah. March, but around then. Um, and then just, we had, um, you know, preseason. Well, yeah, um, let's talk about that. Cause I know you didn't really want to go into too many people who you played with, but I think that's pretty important to mention that you not only get drafted, but you get drafted to play up top with 
the best women's forward talking soccer player of all time, Mia Hamm, correct? Yeah, and Abby Wambach. I was not first on the depth. I was not first on the depth chart off the bat. <laughs> I'm like the two of them, and, and then I'm like, oh my god, that's got to be some pressure right there. How did you feel going into to play with such? I mean, you had some amazing women on that team. Yeah, there were there were a lot of amazing women. I mean, the only reason that I, I even hesitate to talk about it in this format, honestly, is because there are so many women from that team now that are doing so many amazing things that just by nature of going down the line, I will forget people. <laughs> like I will be like, oh yeah, she's doing that. And it'll be, you know, this amazing groundbreaking thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got drafted and went out there and I, I knew, I knew the situation I was going to be in. And I had played with Abby for a few years on, on youth national teams. Um, and I knew what an amazing player she was. And so going out there, um, <laughs> I mean, my, my honest thought in, in going out there was I was going to go through the first part of the season. Um, really the format was that I, I was drafted. I still had to make the team. Um, mm -hmm. so I was out there with, um, people, other people who were drafted, um, people who, um, just came to try out. Um, so the first step was making the team. And then in the moment, um, after I had made the team, given that I felt I wasn't going to play as much as I would want and rightfully so no complaints. Um, my goal was to learn as much from Abby, from Mia, from the players that were there. And then um, Mia was on the verge of retirement, mm -hmm. um, be able to play after that, which I was totally fine with. I got drafted. I was, I don't know, 21. I was like, cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm more than happy learning from these people and working with these people. Um, had I opted out, um, and gone and tried out somewhere else, I think that there's a pretty high probability, um, I would have played more off the bat. Um, but, you know, I had made the decision before this, you know, very, I think it was league wide phone call where they actually told us, um, that, you know, they were, they were considering folding the league immediately, but they decided that they would go one more year. Oh, right. Okay. So I was already locked in and I just, you know, I, I essentially made the decision to be there and, and see that out, which was an amazing experience. I mean, there were people there, uh, great players, great team. We won the national championship. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not sad about it by any means. Um, but in terms of, you know, getting time to develop on the field, which anybody needs at that level in order to continue um, on a trajectory that I was hoping to, um, you know, it was a little bit of a bummer that I, you know, like it's a double-edged sword. You stay, you learn from these people, you play with these people, but then the league folds and you're not going to have anywhere to play anymore. What does that look like if you still want to pursue a playing career, mm -hmm. right? Or do you go to another team where you're probably going to play more because your team is the best you won, right? <laughs> and you have those players yeah. playing in front of you where you're going to play more and then potentially um, develop more. Mm -hmm. um, but I made the decision that I made. And um, I mean, it was not going to be a bad decision either way um but do you think I, that I loved decision, my time there did you think that decision helped you make the full team because you came out of that right having oh, I already team. I had already played with the full team you'd already made your cap okay I wasn't sure of the timing of that okay so when when did that occur was that while you were still at Cal or was that during yeah that no I was like my sophomore or junior year the full team yeah Oh my God, that's how do I not remember this? <laughs> I swear to God, I, I have the worst memory. You were busy. <laughs> I was we all had clearly things, yeah. a little too self absorbed, probably. But like, 
How amazing is that? I mean, I do remember, we, but I, I think at that time, I don't know that I knew it was the whole team and I thought it was probably the youth teams, which is still incredibly impressive. But so you'd already played with both Abby and Mia at that point on the full team and then going, so some of those women, like you said, you've been in camp with a few different times, I'm sure. Um, Abby the most. And then, I mean, before we got on this call, you mentioned Lori Lindsay, who does a lot of commentating. Um, you know, she was on that team. Um, obviously went on to play in, I think, a World Cup, um, maybe an Olympics too. Um, but like I said, there there are so many people on that team that accomplished so much that it's really hard to, you know, go down yeah. the line and remember all of their accomplishments. Yeah, yeah. But so, I mean, it, that's such an, in, like, what a time, first of all. And then how did you navigate like the ending of that league? Because I know like for me, like the crushing feeling it felt to never have the, op I was training with the Cyberies my like fifth year senior fall that I was like videoing for the team or whatever. And I was like training with them. And then it folded like right after that. So there was no draft or fourth season. And I know how that felt not getting the opportunity, but then to have the opportunity win the national championship and then it folds, that's gotta be, so hard like what did you do what, what was the next step <laughs> I yeah. mean the reality was um I, I went back to school I dropped out oh yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> so I that's mean and this was funny I don't I don't think I've really told many people this because I mean in what format do we talk about a lot of these things yeah. um our I think the I think the national championship was on a Saturday it must have been on a Saturday um and then Sunday, I flew up to Berkeley and moved into my house and then Monday school started. And that's oh what I did. <laughs> I had asked my coach, I had asked Jim Gabara, I was like, hey, do I have to fly back to Washington, D.C. and then fly back over here? Because the final was in San Diego. I was mm -hmm. like, is it cool? Like after the game, <laughs> I just stayed. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So I just flew up from San Diego. I flew up from the final and went back to school. That's nice. I did the whole college thing. I have the next day, Sunday. I am literally, I don't know if you remember where me and um, like Katie Pittman and yeah. um, Aaron Olander, where we lived. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, I got my bed and I, you know, I put my bed together. Like I did the whole thing. Oh my God. That's so crazy to just like, yeah. all right. And so you had one more semester. So you finished there. Were you yeah. training? Like, how did you, like, what was the next soccer step then? Um, I, there wasn't really much opportunity I mean I was working with the staff at Cal uh, I was doing the video in the games thing too um, I was cleaning out the recruiting database which I guess was my first venture into what coaching was going to be like the office portion of it um, yeah I I mean I kind of just stepped back into school and at that point I mean it was the fall I I wasn't I wasn't really training yeah so Let's talk a little bit about that. So your next venture from playing to coaching, you continued to play in and out with the national team. And then you, I mean, after you graduated, you didn't stay in Berkeley. I remember you moved back up to Oregon, right? Yeah. I mean, what, what happened was I, so I graduated in May and then I, um, I stayed and played with the storm That's and we won, we won that national championship that year which was awesome. That and was then, an amazing team too. Like Brandy. Oh, such a fun team. <laughs> Tracy Hamm. There was amazing players on that team too. Um, yeah, that team was, was so fun. Um, and then, um, 
sidebar, I don't know if you guys have talked about this on, on your podcast, but you know, everybody's terrible ex- uh, experiences in Russia. That whole, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I went to Russia for like six oh, weeks. Oh, that's right. No, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I played for the storm. And then do you remember Emily Burt? Yeah. At Stanford? Yeah. So she had gone to Russia and like somehow, I don't know how, like we got back in contact and she was like, they want more people to come out. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah. all right. <laughs> so, uh, oh my God. So I went and, um, and we played, uh, we played in the, um, champions league. We, we ended up going to Denmark, um, which I mean, honestly, like looking back at it, I'm like, oh yeah, I was doing all these cool things. I wasn't thinking about it. I was just trying to continue playing um and um yeah I went there it's as weird as everybody says that it is I I saw a lot of those things um I I watched them happen so (laughs) when that I forgot if it was a book or a report or whatever about it I was like oh look at that (laughs) (laughs) not the only one who watched all these super strange things happen um so that was an adventure um and then I came back and um yeah I had a a significant you know like life shift as we do at times and um just like flat made the decision to move back to Oregon yeah and then you got into coaching like let's step into that whole realm because I think at that time a lot of women were jumping into coaching because there wasn't an avenue to play maybe more so than women were jumping into coaching like five years after that um or even five years prior to that I think there there was a little bit of a boom of of women in coaching from your generation. I mean, we had Lauren Hansen on this podcast. She was kind of that same, she's your same year. Some of these women who, you know, if you wanted to continue to play pro, you were waiting six years from that point. And I know girls my year, like Kim Yokers did so, but it was like, then you were going to be living with host families. The, The financial side of playing was even worse than it was when you played. And it was just one of those, as you, you know, grow through your twenties, you're and and having a Cal UC Berkeley education on your, you know, resume, it's like, you don't necessarily want to be making 20 grand living with a host family, you know, when you could be at a D1 school coaching, which is what you ended up doing, right? Yeah, I, um, sorry, I made, I didn't have, I didn't have a you know, professional plan at that point. It was more. Um, honestly, it was a mental health decision. I could see that if I was not back, basically, you know, at, at home for a period of time there, that that wasn't going to be um, a healthy long-term decision for me. So I made the decision to go back and had no plans. I mean, I remember um, one of my one of my closest friends still to this day um, was about to leave to uh, New York for an internship with the Knicks. She ended up working for the MLS and is still involved in soccer. Um, and I remember just driving out there with her. Um, she was having a going away party, um, which was super fun. And uh, I just remember sitting in her passenger seat and being like, I am moving home. Like, I'm moving home. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, but I'm I'm just going to do it. And I'll have to see what, you know, where I end up. And about, you know, like two months into being back, um, you know, I just kind of took, took my time, um, started coaching club. And then um, the Portland State uh, head coach at the time uh, got another position and left. So that position opened up and I by no means was wanting that job, like 0% wanted that job, knew that I had never coached before at that level. 
I wasn't a division one college coach, didn't know what I was doing in an office. Um, but I went in to the officer, uh, to the athletic department and turned in my resume and said, you know, I'm interested in being an assistant when you hire. And um, they ended up calling me like the next day and saying, hey, will you just you know run sessions while, while we don't have anybody? And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. So, <laughs> so I was training a team. They hired me to train the team. Did you have a coaching license at that point? Great question. I might've had a D license. Yeah. I did not have anything above a D license. Okay. That's amazing though. And so that turned into the head coaching position, correct? Uh, eventually. I mean, what happened was, I mean, great, great opportunity. I mean, they took me on all the interviews. I met everybody who was interviewing for the job. Once they got to the finalists, went out to dinner with all of them. I watched the whole process. And as like a, what, 23 year old at the time, I mean, that was, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when they hired somebody, uh, that person brought me on as an assistant. And then three years later, uh, that person left and I had another job offer at another university. Um, But like I said, I'm by nature, very much a homebody and don't move a lot. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I've always been invested in our community. So I decided to take the job at Portland State, the head job. Nice. And you were there eight seasons as, as both assistant and head. So five. I was, no, I was there 12. Um, 12. Yeah. I was the head coach for nine. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Long time, right? Long time. Yeah. That is a long time. (laughs) But tell us about that. Like, I mean, you don't have to go into detail of like every year or anything like that, but like the experience from being a player to a coach and being a woman and the timeline of it all, I mean, by the time you were finishing up there, the NWSL had already started. So we're in our third generation, right, of um, women's pro leagues. And so the landscape, and the reason I bring that up is just the landscape of women's soccer had shifted during your time there, right? Yeah, I. so I think, I mean, the WPS did it come back and. In- nine nine it must have come back in nine Mm -hmm. um I have a funny story about that no go for it yeah (laughs) so I am the head coach at Portland State um they had had you know like one or two good years generally not great years but the coach before um the coach when I became you know the assistant the coach that left um Hera she uh had a great year which was really hard to do there um and she took the job at Oregon that's where that's how that dynamic kind of um occurred and so um yeah I (laughs) so I'm there fast forward the other league starts you know people are asking me if I'm gonna leave if I'm gonna go play if I'm gonna I'm like I sometimes I play in practice sometimes I you know which I didn't do a whole lot anymore um as I got older and (laughs) so anyway fast forward 2009 we're we end up having a very good year we end up winning the conference right However, we're not there yet, right? We're in uh, non-conference play and we happen to play the University of Pacific. So we're down in Stockton and we have this game and (laughs) it was one of those games and like, you know, like it's just one of those games. I'm not going to say it's anybody's fault. I really don't think it was. The players did their best. Second half falls apart. We just tank. We let in all these goals like in a row and, you know, I don't know what the end score was, four, five, one or something. It was something weird like that, right? And the referees come up to me because they know me, right? And they, one of them was like, "So you, you gonna you gonna go back and play?" 
what? No. <laughs> just because I just got everything handed to me doesn't mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you're going to hang your boots up here and try something. So, like so you done coaching now? Because that was pretty terrible. I was like, I got to go. Yeah, <laughs> we got to exactly. go get dinner. <laughs> So that wasn't like a hard decision for you to not go back and play because it was already, and I felt the same as you, at least, I think it was six years from the WSA to the WPS. And I think it was one of those, if you were consistently training with like WPSL teams, maybe, but like, yeah, I mean, I was still in my twenties and I never thought to kind of, I think once you're out of that world for a while, it's pretty hard to, to get back in it. And you clearly were finding a lot of success at Portland State. I mean, you guys, I know not, maybe not in that particular game, but in the, in the scheme of things, you know, like you said, you won conference that you're like, you were doing well. Yeah. I mean, we finished in the top two of our conference for seven years straight. Yeah. Um, awesome. So that was, I mean, I honestly, I don't think that I could do that again. If I, you know, like went back, um, it was, it was hard to do. And I put a lot of time into it and it, it was tough, but the reality was, like you said before, like if I went and played, I was going to be making less money. I'd have to stop a career again and then go to another career essentially. And then like mm -hmm. try to figure out what to do after that. That seemed weird. Yeah. Um, no, I had stopped playing for an extended period of time. I probably could have done it because I was still playing quite a bit um, and finding ways to, um, you know, be on the ball and all that stuff. It wouldn't have been out of the question, but I mean, at that level, it's, it's not easy to do, right? Mm -hmm. um and the reality is is that the league stopped when I was 22 and the next league started when I was 28 mm -hmm. right so those are like you know a lot of your prime years where you're just yeah. not seeing that level of competition at all um so it just it made sense not to yeah so how so let's get into this so you currently coach at George Fox University which is a D3 school. You were at Portland State, which is a D1. I want to touch on this a little bit because I think it's very fascinating. You left Portland State on your own accord, correct? You wanted to, you were done. Is that right? Yeah, I left six months into a five-year contract. Okay. Tell us a little about that, or can you? Oof, I mean, <laughs> I can. Um, that was another life shift. You know, like <laughs> apparently every 10 years or so, I have a big life shift. Um, <laughs> That's normal, by the way. <laughs> And then, yeah. yeah. Um, but that, I mean, that's really what it was, was, um, you know, I was in a situation where I needed to take care of my family and I needed to take care of my daughter. And, um, you know, if I had been, if, you know, some people had been honest with me, I might've made a different decision, but with the information that I had at the time, um, you know, I, how this is as a parent, like you're going to pick your kids every time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I knew that for me and the amount of time and effort and um, I don't know, just sheer like willpower that it took to sustain being at the top of really any conference for an extended period of time was going to be, the cost was going to be uh, too high for me uh, than the benefit at that point. So um, what was, you know, I guess additionally sad was one of my close friends had just become the athletic director. And <laughs> when I had to tell her that was, you know, a really, really hard day. Um, but, you know, overall, I think that, you know, it was probably best for everybody. Um, you know, you, you genuinely, when you're in those positions, if you're doing it right, you want what's best for the players and you want what's best, obviously, for your family. Um, and so I just I had to make a, a tough decision um, and decided that it wasn't the right time for me to be in that position. 
I think that speaks to, um, I think there are very few women head coaches in NCAA at any level who have families. And I think it's very hard to balance. Like it goes back to that balance um, and the cost that you were just saying of just when you're trying to navigate what's what the priorities are. And I think it is really hard to have both. I think in our podcast with Lauren Hansen, she mentioned at the time that she was coaching at San Jose State, there was maybe uh, tw- 10 women, uh, you could count on two hands that had children that were coaching at that level. And I think you were one of them that she thought of. So um, I think that speaks to one of the issues, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, if you can see it, you can be it, but it's also as women, we have a, a different role in, in our, within our families sometimes. And, um, and it's hard, it's not easy. And it'll be interesting. Like, you know, we have our mutual friend, Tracy Ham is about to have a baby, like watching these women and, and how, when you have kids, plays a role. I mean, even Corey Alexander at Cal, I love her and watching her try to navigate her three kids and coach. It's such a, a demanding profession and it's really hard. And, um, and, and I commend you for coaching for as long as you did at that level and the travel that goes along with that and trying to sustain, you know, just being a mom. It's so, being a mom is the largest job in, in and of itself. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, I mean, First of all, let me just side note, Lauren Hansen, amazing coach. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I've spoken to her for a few years, but we we did we were on the regional team together. We were the same age, same birth year, the whole thing. Um, outstanding player in Southern California, and then went into coaching, obviously, and just knocked it out of the park. Um, when she went to San Jose, I was like, well, now they're going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and she did an outstanding job. Um, it was really fun to, um, you know, watch her grow that program. She obviously knows how to do it the right way. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it came to kids, it's, I mean, my particular situation was that, you know, I, I ended up going through a divorce and was with somebody who was not particularly supportive. Um, and I, at the end of the day, um, was going to choose to be around my daughter. Yeah, um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be traveling all the time. I didn't want to be pulled away in that way. Yeah, um, because the situation, uh, by nature, and some things that were going on that I became aware of uh, was going to be unstable. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to make sure that she had the stability that at least I could provide her. Yeah, absolutely. Commend you for that. And, and so. What I think is so cool at this time too is the NWSL had started and the Thorns have, you know, an awesome program going on. Um, and you became a commentator and are still a commentator for the Thorns. And I know that happened years later, right? Not at the, the start of the NWSL. Um, can you speak a little oh, yeah. bit about how you got into that and how you transitioned into George Fox? Gosh, yeah, you might have to remind me where we're going with this because the commentating on the George Fox might take me in just different directions. Um, okay. Just time <laughs> periods, like you ended up yeah. going from Portland State to George Fox, correct? No, I was at I was at Portland State, and then I um, when I stepped back from there, I was I was also um, about six months prior to that became uh, the director at FC Portland, oh, along right. with Leonard. Oh yeah which that's was great. awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how I really got to know him. Um, he's also an amazing person and coach. Yes. 
Um, and so I, I was working with him closely, also um, working with Clarina Charles um, and other people in that organization who um, you know, are just really good coaches, um, really good people. So I did that um, for a little while and then had an opportunity with the Thorns, uh, took that. And then um, there were some opportunities prior to that, but that was really when I started doing more. So like my very first opportunity was actually when I had stopped um, coaching um, division one soccer, the conference I was coaching in had a championship um, conference championship. And that was my first thing that I ever did was that I went, <laughs> it was in uh, Cheney, Washington, and they didn't really have a, <laughs> they didn't have a press box there. The field was all right, but it had snowed. And then honestly, in the middle of the broadcast, it started snowing and Cassie, we are under like a soccer tent. <laughs> so like snow is blowing into this tent. Oh God. Um, and I'm working with this, this uh, great guy who was, um, I think he was doing some commentating at the time for um, Idaho Vandals basketball. Um, and me and him just, you know, Matt, and you know, in these situations, you want to try and drum up some rapport with the person as soon as possible, because you, you want to have something when you're on air. Um, but then we were just kind of thrown into that. So, I mean, it's probably, I don't know, 25 degrees and snow is blowing in and you have notes, but they're all wet. And I was like, all right, well, this was okay. <laughs> but that was just two games. Um, and then I got an opportunity to, um, I think it was a preseason tournament called Thorns Games with Ann Schatz, who now um, works at University of Portland. Um, I think, I think calls all the basketball games, maybe, um, and works with another friend of ours uh, doing that. So I got to work with her, which was cool because I watched her on the news growing up the whole, you know, when I was out in <laughs> rural Oregon. <laughs> she was like a connection to the, the small city of Portland. Um, and then, um, so I did a few games with her. Um, she was amazing. Um, learned a lot from her. And then after that, honestly, I don't remember what, what came next. I, I've done Timbers radio. Um, I did T2 on ESPN plus for two years and through COVID. Um, and then I ended up moving into pre and post game with the thorns two years ago. Okay. Okay. So which is a different format. Yeah. yeah. Which I kind of love. I, I You get to have that rapport with the person you're doing it with. Remind me of his name? Nick Krupke. That's right. Yeah, he works uh, for Fox 12. Yeah, no, it's it's been so fun to watch you. You're so good at it. I love it. And at that time, well, around that same time, two, three, four, five, four years ago, maybe, is when you started at George Fox for three years. Before I COVID. started the week. I started the week COVID started. Well, okay, I was like, I knew it was around COVID. <laughs> Rough timing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. I mean, so I had, the way that kind of worked was that I was running the U.S. training centers um, with, you know, Manny Martins, Kat Mertz, uh, Lisa from UP, um, Tina Ellertson, um, which was this, these training centers that U.S. soccer decided that they would put together in certain markets. And the idea was that we would get some of the best players in the area to train once a month together, and then they'd be, you know, evaluated. And sometimes national team staff would fly in. Um, so anyway. In doing that, when you run it, you have to, the format was that you had to find a field essentially for free. <laughs> and none of us were really getting paid much, if anything, um, which was awesome because we had such a great staff and we were able to provide, I think, some really amazing sessions for these kids. But we had to find a field, we had to organize the sessions, we had to, you know, put the rosters together. Um, and I was in charge of that for like three years. But long story short, those sessions ended up being at George Fox. And um, so I ended up driving out there um, 
you know, out to Newburgh uh, a number of times. And every time I drive out there, I'd be like, I just like this. I just, you know, I, the drive from my home was it's along the river. I don't have to get on a freeway and the drive is beautiful. So you're not dealing with the traffic and the stuff. Right. And then I'd get out there and the field was beautiful and the sunsets out there are amazing. Sometimes I post them on my Instagram and I'm like, I can't believe like the sky is purple again. How come this isn't at my house? <laughs> um, and then the university, I, I really like what it provides its students because it's it's more of a, a you know approach that develops the whole person. And division three, I think, is um, it's the right fit for, um, honestly, I think more kids than even choose it. Um, where they get a focus on academics first and you're not, um, you know, division one, you know how it was scheduling games around classes and, or sorry, scheduling around um, practices. Um, mm -hmm. And we just, we just don't do that. Either we're practicing before 8 a.m. or we're practicing after four and they're going to class. And if they have something they need to do for school, they're doing it. And that's the way it works, which I think for um, a large number of people, makes a ton of sense. Um, so I, I really enjoy the format, but to be honest, I think in all the coaching and experiences I've had in the game, um, I find a lot of them fun. I like coaching eight-year-olds. I like coaching college kids. I like coaching division one. I, I like coaching division three. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's all, they all have their, their place, I think in the landscape. Yeah, that's so cool. And I just love that. Um, well, like you said, it's a better fit for you personally. I know there's a little less travel. Um, and it's close to your house. And then it's also, I love that you picked up on, and this is when we started to kind of reconnect during COVID for a lot of Cal soccer alumni stuff, but the whole person and the, the development of the whole person is at the forefront of D3. And I think obviously needs to be at the forefront of every level of soccer, but that's where I feel like we had a couple different conversations about the, you know, just sort of the systemic issues where that is not happening whether it's at the club level, the collegiate level, the pro level, what have you. But, you know, and I think that um, this is what we do at Female Footballers, focusing on the mental side because it's the side that's not getting the attention that is needed there. Um, but it's also the side, because it's not getting that attention, it's leading to larger issues within the system. And I know that, you know, we've discussed some of that too. And I think we'll have you on for another session on our podcast eventually to talk more in depth about that. Um, but kind of just some of the systemic issues. So we've, we've talked a little bit about some of the issues as a, a female, obviously in your journey of getting to play, not getting to play due to access and um, funding within pro soccer. And now as a coach, you know, some of the, the frustrations and the, and the systemic issues when it comes to trying to be a mom and, a, and, and be the head of a family and coach at these levels and the travel that's involved in some of that. But some of the other systemic issues within soccer, whether it's the, the whole player development, the lack of, I should say, or the, um, the abuse that's prevalent. I know um, even just this week as we're recording this, uh, um, some French national team players are, are leaving, you know, they're saying they're not gonna play in the World Cup due to kind of issues within their own federation. And this just keeps stemming up. So as somebody who has uh, been a, highest level player, highest level coach, um, you're a parent of a daughter. I'm just curious, like, what are some of your thoughts um, that we'll just touch on as we kind of end the last few minutes of this podcast? Um, and then we'll actually have you back on to really go in depth them another time. But what are some of your thoughts on 
you know, kind of the state of soccer in some of this with whole player development and the systemic issues. I know you have some opinions. Yeah, I have. Gosh, I probably have too many opinions. But um, yeah, I think the it's kind of amazing that we've gotten this far without addressing, you know, like the kind of quote unquote whole player um, thing. It's like, you know, of course, if players are in a good spot physically and they're in a good spot mentally and they feel taken care of and they feel supported and they feel loved and they feel um, like they're not just um essentially a commodity that produces um which whether it hits when they're a child or it hits when they're an adult um i strongly believe that just treating people that way in general is the wrong thing to do so you know making a quote unquote exception for it when it's sports when you know you really um i think there's been a history and we're kind of hopefully and i think we are um taking steps out of that right now where, you know, yelling at people to motivate them, um, physically, you know, like tiring people to the point of exhaustion to motivate them. Um, some of those techniques are just, they're, they've gone by the way, right? They, they're not really things that, um, they don't, they probably should have not been what we did. Maybe we didn't know better. Maybe we didn't, um, you know, learn fast enough what might be a better way to do things. Um, but, but also, you know, I think that um, players are demanding more and they're, they're in a different maybe cultural setup now where they can ask for some of these things and be heard. I mean, I, I would feel that if, you know, if at any point, I mean, you were on teams probably where a coach at some point was like, you know, we're going to run and not run like a few times or not do like five burpees, but we're going to run because we lost this game. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we've all been in that situation from a, certain um, generation. And I mean, I don't know that that really ever answered anything. I mean, we all didn't want to run more, but <laughs> totally, <laughs> we were mad and we were going to like, yeah, it gave us maybe a certain short-term grit to avoid running and play harder for, you know, a week. But um, that's not really how you long-term develop anyone or get them to think about their future. Um, so I think it was just a lot of short term and also honestly, like people just not knowing, not knowing how to, not knowing how to manage our sport. I mean, when I think about it, just as a general societal situation, I mean, soccer in our country, I mean, I would imagine that when soccer started and I mean, somebody proved me wrong, I can be wrong, but I would imagine that most of the soccer clubs were like dads that were volunteering to coach that never played soccer that probably played some other sport um or wanted to play some other sport and maybe there were some angsty issues there that those seem to you know still be things that we see in certain situations and those are being handled differently um and those are you know those were also probably people on clubs that had boards the board members um so to a large extent you don't have you don't have moms involved you don't have um women involved you don't have you know women were just getting into sports right in the mm -hmm. 80s 90s so i mean you have all these people that are basically running the sport from the onset that have no idea what the sport is mm -hmm. totally. <laughs> and i and i don't think we're out of it i think that a lot of the board members are still parents that are just got their kid in there and they thought it would be nice you know and it's like what like i'm awesome you volunteered you're doing something good for your kid hopefully you're doing something good for all kids 
um, and you're doing it for the right reasons. But like, that's kind of where we started. Mm -hmm. And I think- Like you said, we're still there. Like I was literally on the sideline today of my daughter's game, talking to parents about how like, why am, I, why am I the only one that thinks it's ridiculous that we have 7 p.m. practice on a Friday night and the girls are nine? Is it just me or is that just insanity? This is stupid. And it's the I third can tell you. Like, <laughs> oh. I can I tell you that I do not care if my daughter plays soccer. Don't yeah. care. Actively have not put her in soccer. If she asked to play soccer, she could play some soccer. Sometimes she wants to kick the ball around in the garage. She thinks it's fun. That's enough for me. I don't need to be training my eight-year-old, you know, three days a week and stressing out. It's just, it makes no sense. I absolutely love hearing that because I honestly think sometimes the parents that are the most insane about it are the parents that didn't get to your level. It's everybody I talk to like you that has played at the highest levels. They don't care. They just don't care. But the parents who never got to that level, they're the ones who want their kid to get the scholarship and play on the pro teams and it's like it's just it's exhausting like I literally on the same sideline today I was also telling the mom that our children are playing more than collegiate players play that there's an actual can you tell me as a d3 aren't there hours that they have they cannot we have days yeah we have days yeah we I mean between um you know whenever you get knocked out of the playoffs or your conference play ends and, and and the rules changing next year so it'll it'll be slightly more um but between then and so November ish and we report a little bit later than division one so we usually report around August 17th we have 16 training days one game and like 10 leadership sessions that's awesome (laughs) but I mean that's like way that I mean our our youth like competitive youth female athletes are playing double of that in that time frame. And I think that's why we're seeing so many of some of the issues. And so we're talking about, I mean, going back to whole player development was the whole purpose of this is I think we've lost a little bit, lost sight of that whole player and what that means and what that looks like. And so how in your coaching profession, are you implementing it? Like you just mentioned leadership sessions. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what that looks like at coaching at George Fox? Uh, sure. I mean, we're at the start of that right now, um, in terms of our, our leadership sessions and, um, George Fox's university has, I think, a a pretty holistic approach. So what I've really enjoyed, um, about being at that particular university, uh, is that I really don't set like, here's, here's the university rules and here's, here's our soccer rules. And these are the things that we do. They all, um, they all can kind of be the same like honestly um our standards for just you know like behavior and what's expected and um you know how you're supposed to perform academically um because they are what they are um you know there are instances where yeah i might have to talk to somebody about their choices or their performance but honestly like there are people at the university they're going to come alongside them and talk to them about those at the same time i am so it takes a lot of pressure off of me because there's not a disconnect between my standards and what the standards are for the university. So it it takes a lot of, um, I think, stress off too, um, just to know that that's, that's how we operate. But within our leadership sessions, I mean, where, where these will go will be obviously, you know, this is nothing groundbreaking, but we'll get into individual goals and team goals and those things. But it, it doesn't start with soccer and it doesn't start there. What we start with, um, is mental, physical, um, cultural goals. 
um, where we want to be as a group. We kind of assess where we were last year, what we thought about it. Um, we debrief on it. We've had a few sessions where we've done that. We've done that with uh, another member of our athletic department who's amazing at these kind of sessions. Um, and then, you know, from there, we're moving forward, kind of getting down from the macro, the cultural, the mental, which, you know, if those aren't, if those aren't right, the other things will only get you so far. Um, and then we build down eventually to the individual on what's going to be required from them on a day-to-day -day basis to then build back up to have the culture and the experience uh, and the results that we want. That's so fascinating. And I love, I, I feel like there's been a theme throughout this whole podcast with you about goals and, and very underlying, but when you were talking about your own playing career and now your coaching career, there, you are somebody who sets goals. Like even when you were saying when you were injured at Cal and you were like, it was your fall semester that senior year, like the goal is you, you've said the goal is multiple times. And I think that if there's people listening to this, the biggest takeaway is that somebody who's driven and motivated has to set small goals, right? These small goals matter and you're doing that for your girls. But what I think a lot of players and parents and coaches miss out on is that they always seem to think that these goals need to be technical or physical based goals. And people are often missing, like you said, cultural goals, the culture of your team, the the mental side of things and, and how it feels. And I think those are the goals that are often missing. So when you're talking about whole player development, um, goal setting is a huge piece of that, but it's holistic and it's, it's bigger than just the technique and the physical play and the tactical side of games. So well, I, I think, I think the technical part has gotten, I mean, it, it's extremely important. Um, but the, the reality is, is once you get to a certain level, everybody's technically good. <laughs> mm -hmm. right and also the reality is that right now and obviously we didn't have this um would have been cool but with youtube and just all the videos out there if there's a part of your game that you can do on your own that nobody really needs to talk to you about <laughs> that you mm -hmm. can get resources and you could just take literally an ipad out to a field and mirror what somebody's doing it's the technical side of the game you mm -hmm. don't need a lot of anything infrastructure money a field you don't need any of it to um honestly just get um essentially coaching um and see what it's about and just you know get different learn what different things are um you don't even need that so i mean the fact that you can do all that individual work and a lot of learning um on your own just by um having video so readily available um what really should be managed uh by coaches is some of those other things um, that could really be homework that could be people working on their own and, you know, doing, um, you know, just like, I listened to Lauren's podcast with you ball on a wall, right? Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Um, if you don't have a wall, it's even okay. If you've got a ball and like a somewhat flat surface, you're fine. <laughs> well, but I love that you brought this up because actually I got feedback from a couple people who were like questioning that I don't know if that's the case today, day, you know, in today's day and age. And I, I agree with you personally. I think that we, every kid has, I mean, even technique football, I, she brought that up with, um, mm -hmm. you know, apps and stuff. And I do, I think there's a huge capability, obviously playing at a, a fast pace and at a level, you've got to be playing soccer, um, but they already are doing that. They're playing too much at times, but I agree with you. I think that, you know, the mental piece is, is huge. And um, I love that you are attacking it from a, a team level. It's good to hear when, and, and I would wonder, do you feel like that's common 
at all levels of, of the game right now that coaches are changing a little bit and, and starting to implement a little bit more of, of the mental side or the cultural side into their training sessions and their spring seasons? Like, I want to, I want to be really clear about this. The technical side of the game is extremely important. Yes. However, the part that's hardest to teach is not the technical side of the game. So the coaches that just stay at the technical side of the game, which you can see and you can mirror from YouTube and you can get coaching about pretty much anywhere, that's basic coaching. Thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> the hard part about coaching is how am I going to get you to be technically better and develop you as a player and teach you about the game and put you in a game-like situation so that when you're on a ball or off a ball, you're a good decision maker and you know what your decisions should be and what your first decision is, your check down decisions, what you should be looking for um, when, you're, when you're playing. I mean, most of the game um, and what should be focused on as you go through the levels, everybody's gonna be technically um, great. Once you get to be a pro, everybody's gonna be technically great. That's not gonna be your separating point. What's gonna be your separating point is really um, how much you can withstand, how mentally tough you are, how well you understand the game. Do you make good decisions? How fast can you make decisions? I mean, that's really what it is. Um, mm -hmm. The technical part is really just, I mean, you're looking at like 1.0. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Totally. Um, I think that's important that more parents who are listening and coaches who are listening, they understand that because I do think that the, the message is getting um, told differently from the youngest ages. The, and I think that's because the focus obviously is going to be technical skills at those youngest ages. But I think we wait, we often wait too long to implement the other things that you just mentioned. Um, and then it's almost like too late because we've created bad habits around them, which is what we do at female footballers. We're trying to start younger and create better habits from younger ages. But it's, it's always nice to talk to somebody who has played at the highest level, coached at the highest level, and reiterates this message because I think that the message gets lost and parents don't know who to listen to and they're not always hearing it outside of their club soccer team you know they're not they're not a coach so they're not going to these conventions but even at the conventions they're not talking about this kind of stuff all the time you know there needs to be I think more dialogue and more willingness to talk about decision making and I'll, I mean I'll tell you what it is at a basic level is when you really get down to why um, why so many coaches just stay with technique. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to say it again because I don't want people to take this the wrong way. Technique is extremely important. You have to have it. You have to work on it. It has to be there. But to put it in a context and have somebody be able to master a ball and be able to make a decision and be able to do it quickly and be able to do it, do the best that they can, make the best decision they can um, when there's so much going on in a game, that is vastly more difficult to teach. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a coach that has a pretty, you know, strong understanding of the game in order to put all those pieces together. Um, and, you know, there's there's a place for a coach that just wants to focus on technique. Like those coaches are very much needed. And yes, they are needed at the younger age groups, because the bottom line is, I mean, you're a teacher, you know, when you're a five, six, seven, eight year old, when you get to seven, eight, a little bit different, but five, six year olds, I mean, just parenting, you know that they don't think about really much else outside of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you should have one person on a ball. You should have them working in twos. You can't get them to fours. They don't know why you're putting them in a diamond. They don't understand spacing. Yeah. <laughs> like they just, they can't do that. 
Totally. No, I 100% agree. Um, wow. Well, no, I, this has been so fascinating because I feel like we never get to talk about this kind of stuff. And I no, this like, is fun. I know. And even at this, at this stage in life, I still like, I, I feel like I'm still learning from you. And it's like, <laughs> so fascinating because I don't know you as a coach. I know you as a teammate. And so to hear you talk about coaching is so, it's just awesome. And I think that I'm so excited that there are women like you who are setting the example of being a coach, being at the highest levels, you're commentating, you're still in the game in a way where you're making a difference and an impact for young girls to see. And I think that that's so needed in today's day and age. And I think we we definitely want to have you on again to kind of go into more detail on on some of that, like women, the state of women in soccer, the state of women's soccer in general, um, because I think that you have so much great insight and um, experience to to pull from too. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. And um, any any last thoughts that you want to tie up? Or no, I, I do want to say thank you for, uh, you know, it's great to talk to you. It's great to talk about these things. Um, there aren't enough formats like this and there aren't enough people, you know, doing the work that you're doing um, in the way that you're doing it. And I, I do want to say thank you for, for putting together female footballers. I mean, when I first saw that you were putting together, I was like, well, this is awesome. And then knowing you as a teammate and knowing that at times, you know, I, you, you were very um, unique and that you were open when you had, you know, like mental struggles or things in the game where you were like, this is hard for me right now, which a lot of people can't verbalize that. And then, you know, knowing you as a player, when you, um, you know, decided that you were going to launch into this, I was like, oh my God, this is like a perfect person that was a high level player that did amazing things on the field now kind of tie these two aspects together so um thank you for doing thank this thank you thank you no I'm stoked I think there needs to be more um just like I agree the dialogue and conversations around whole player development and women in the game we just that's our goal like the two things that we're trying to do at female footballers is show more women and representation and visibility and and you know talk about whole player development and the mental side and you're like the perfect person for this so thank you and I hope you come back on because I want to talk more about your commentating and the thorns and you know there's a lot going on in women's soccer right now from like the abuse in the fall that was discussed the equal pay issues there's just so much going on and so it takes a few of these sessions to like a podcast to like get it all out otherwise it'd be like a four-hour conversation so we'll space it out over a couple podcasts all right sounds good happy right. to be here happy to be back yes thank you so much for coming on and thank you all for listening really appreciate it stay tuned laura shot will be on again eventually and we're going to talk more about um some of the more current issues within soccer and um thank you again for being on thanks cassie